Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part three of his series, Blind Faith. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? It's a great weekend. Hey, man, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor to all of our Faith Church family. If you're watching online, couldn't be here. We're glad that you're here. Welcome all of you guys that are here live. And if you're a first-time guest, we're so glad that you're here. Hey, listen, we want to give a shout-out. We are ending what we called a 90-day tithe challenge at the beginning of this year. We took it, actually, beginning of February, and just said this. You know, God said, um, try me, test me, put me to the test. And we just believe that we can put God to, his, uh, to the test that he challenges to, that if we'll bring God the first and the best, that he'll bless us big time. And we have heard over the last 90 days incredible testimonies of raises and bonuses and new jobs and better jobs, some things that can't be measured by a financial uh, bank statement. God has been so good to demonstrate his faithfulness. Some of you have experienced that. And so I just want to encourage you, for you that have been on board in the 90-day tithe challenge, don't stop because the 90 days are up. I know many of you have experienced God's goodness. Because of your generosity, we were able to complete that incredible lobby remodel. Thank you guys for that. It's awesome out there. Did that debt-free, and uh, so it's awesome. Listen, we got a big day today. I want to pray, ask God to help us. So y'all pray with me. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God, every heart that's God carrying burdens and struggles and challenges and difficulties. Father, I pray whether they're in elementary school or, Father, whether they're senior adults, Lord, everybody in between. I pray, God, every person in this room, every person watching online, God, would experience your grace and your strength and your peace. God, help me to communicate your word today, God, in a way that they can hear and understand. Father, we pray that, God, you want to bless the Cleveland Cavaliers. God, you made the dinosaurs extinct once. God, I pray, Father, let the Toronto Raptors be extinct in Jesus' name. Everybody who agreed said amen. Hey, listen, y'all better get used to it because I'm praying that until the ring comes to the land, baby. Ring 2.0. Hey, guys, listen, so... Several months ago, actually, I am a basketball fan, huge basketball fan. I got to go down to UNA. Missy Tiber, who is the ladies, Lions, UNA uh, girls basketball coach, attends here, part of our faith family. Her assistant coach, Adrian Harlow, is part of, also a part of our faith family. So my son and I, we decided to go down, check out a game, uh, support them, go spend some time together. It was a cool day. In fact, it was a big day because typically college ball, they don't hit triple digits. They don't hit 100 points up. And girls, t- girls teams typically are just less likely to do that. It was a big day, man. They hit triple digits. It was an awesome game. However, about halfway through the game, uh, I'm hanging out, and you know they give stuff away. They throw stuff up into the stands. Well, about five minutes before this, I went and got a slice of pizza because, right, I mean, that's just what you do. So I'm sitting down, and I'm eating my piece of pizza, and all of a sudden they come out. It's a timeout, and they start throwing shirts up. And so I'm sitting there eating my piece of pizza, and I look, and there's a shirt coming my way. So I had a decision to make real quick. Do I eat my pizza? Do I get the shirt? And like many of us, we tried to have both, but you can't have both. So when it came, I immediately jumped up and grabbed the shirt. The worst part is I missed the shirt, just just over the fingertips. This pizza pizza went flying off my plate, and there were these two poor ladies sitting down to my left, down in front of me. 
And uh, you know the rule, you know there's a rule, right? There's a law that if you drop a piece of butter toast, it'll land butter down. The, obviously, I didn't know this, the law is true for pizza too. And so this piece of pizza landed right on the shoulder of this lady in front of me, sauce down. And there was way more sauce on it than I thought. I had some immediate feelings. Um, number one, first, I'm going to be honest, I hope she didn't notice. Like I thought, well, she doesn't know. I'm not going to say anything if she don't say anything. Like immediately, almost at the same time, I thought if she notices, maybe I can play it off. Like I can look behind me like, hey, where did that come from? But really, I, I was so embarrassed. Gosh, I felt so bad. I'm like, Jesus, come quickly. Rapture me out of here. I was, for real, I was mortified. I felt so bad. I immediately, I apologized to this lady. I offered her everything I knew. I said, listen, I'll go buy you a shirt. Uh, I didn't want to go buy her one without, you know, her doing it because if you go too big, that's bad. If you go too small, that's bad. But I said, I'll give you money. Give me, you know, I'll give you my number. I'll offer my number. Listen, I'll pay for dry cleaning, whatever you want to do to make it right. I'm just telling you, I felt, I felt horrible. I'm telling you, it was awful. The worst part was, like, her friend wiped her down, and, but as the game went on, I seemed like there was a whole other spot of sauce she missed. Like, I'm like, do I bring it up again? Do I reopen the wound so, like, it was, for real, it was really bad. But here, here's the thing. Um, if, if that's the only thing that that lady ever goes through and I ever go through, like, life, life's okay. But here's what I know and here's what you know is, is, unfortunately, that probably will not be the worst thing that ever happens to that lady. And unfortunately, that'll probably not be the worst thing that ever happens to me. In fact, the Bible says this right out of the gate. Jesus said, I want you all to shout these verses with me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And we know that's true. Like Jesus, he didn't have to tell us that for us to know that. All we have to do is just read the newspaper, open up our web browser, and check out some links on the news. Not just on the news globally and locally, but just in our own world. Like throughout history, just trials are happening and sorrows are happening. You look at big things like the Holocaust. Just last week, we remembered six-year anniversary of the, of the uh, tornadoes that came to this area and wiped out lives and homes. We see on the news rape and murder. And all of these things go on and on and on. And it's so hard for us to deal with this and so hard for us to kind of take all this in. But it's one thing to see it on the news. It's another thing when it comes to us personally. Right, right here in our community, some of you guys are paying attention and you know. Right here in our faith church family, a young, uh, young uh, lady lost her dad after a four-year battle with cancer. Just this week, another young girl I just found out lost her dad suddenly. Some of you are following Hunter Smith, a young freshman at Rogers High School, tragically injured in a freak accident at school. And we ask these questions like, why? Why? Because here's the question. If there's a God, why all the evil? Why all the chaos? Why all the, if God, you're really there, then why? Because something's not right, and, and our assumption is that the presence of one excludes the presence of other, that if there's a God, there can't be evil. And if there's evil, there surely can't be a God. And I, can I just present to you right here on the front end as we jump into an incredibly difficult topic, that here's what I think. I think the very evidence, the very evidence of what brings us to possibly that conclusion doesn't discount the presence of God. I believe it actually points to the presence of God. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor Steve, are you telling me that because there's evil, there's a God? No, what I'm telling you is that our ability to look at a situation, to look at our circumstances, 
to look at news articles, to look, look at what we're going through and say, that's wrong. That's evil. I believe that actually points to the presence of God because where else does that ability come from? Where else does our ability to look at a situation and say, that's good, that's bad. That's evil, that's okay. Where does that ability for us to look at a situation and judge right from wrong come from? There was a man, I gave you his name right in the beginning of this series, C.S. Lewis, a great uh, apologist, a great guy, defender of the faith. He wasn't always so. At one time, he was an atheist. He wrestled through some of these difficult questions of faith. And he actually said this, in this same topic of evil and God being present together, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? What he's saying was he realized as he looked at this universe and said, that's wrong, that's evil, sickness is bad, death and murder is wrong, child pornography and abuse, it's out of order. He's saying he realized as he came to those conclusions that that ability to judge situations came from somewhere. And I believe that argues for the presence of God and existence of a God because you were wired that way, being created in the image of God, being created in the image of a righteous judge that knows right from wrong. He's put that in us, that universally, throughout humanity, that it's more than a moral feeling. We know right from wrong. If you're all about philosophy, it's said this way through the moral argument, that every law has a lawgiver. Laws don't just appear on their own. They're given. They come from some source. Every law has a lawgiver. There is a moral law. You do know right from wrong. Before your parents ever told you what you were doing was wrong and grounded you or beat you or whatever mode of discipline you experienced growing up, you knew it was wrong. There is a moral law. Therefore, there is a moral lawgiver. There is a God. Scripture would say it this way. Here's what Paul said. I want you to read this with me. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without. Come on, read this with me. But woven into the very fabric of our creation, there is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. What he's saying is this is that there's something in us that, again, we've been wired to know right from wrong. And that wiring, that DNA, that morality, whatever you want to call it, it's come from this God that's created us and made us. And so really kind of here's, here's the bigger question is, if there's a God, what's he doing? Like, if there's a God, what's he up to? There was a Greek philosopher, Epicurean, he wrestled through this same issue of God and evil and how they coexist and how, they, how can God be there if there's evil and suffering and cancer and all of this tragedy in this world? And he came up with something known as the trilemma. Here's what Epicurus said. He said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? Is he neither able nor willing then why call him God? What he's saying is this. If God's really all-powerful, then why didn't he just stop it? Why didn't he fix it? And if he's not stopping it and he's not fixing it, maybe it's because he's not all-powerful. And if he's really all-powerful and he's not doing something about it, then maybe he's evil himself. 
And if he's not either one of those things, if he's not really omnipotent, he's not really good, then why are we calling him God? Maybe he doesn't exist after all. So his argument is there's possibly no God. If there's a God, then he's not good. And if he's good, then he's not all-powerful. I want to present for a few minutes today a fourth option, that he is there. He is all-powerful. He is good. And those two things, the reason evil and suffering can coexist with the presence of a good, all-powerful God is because I want to tell you today, I believe he's wise. See, for us to understand this story, right? I don't know about you guys, but I'm a movie guy. We ain't movie people in the house. You love some movies. I love a good movie. Like, I love going to the theater. I don't go a lot. But when I see one I want to see, I'm going to go check it out. Guardians of the Galaxy 2.0, baby, I'm there. I'm not on time for a lot of things. I'm not late, but I normally get there when I have to get there. But when I go to the movies, I'm there early, baby, because I want to get a good... Well, first of all, you got to get your popcorn. You got to get your drink. And you got to get your candy. Be honest, we don't get our candy there. We get our candy at Dollar General, baby. Yeah, baby. Does anybody else feel like you got to hide it? Okay, that's another story. We'll, talk, we'll come back to that later. But you get your stuff and you go sit down. You want to make sure you get a good seat so you're there early. And I don't mind watching the previews because they're all the movies that maybe I want to see later. And then the movie starts, right? And you hear the, you hear the, and the sound, the curtains pushed back, wide screen, baby. You're all in. And all of a sudden, the movie kicks in. You start watching this movie, and the cat you invited to join you for the movie shows up 10 minutes into the movie, and now they want you to tell them everything they missed. Like, they've missed all the important plot points that launched the movie, and now they're like, hey, who's that guy? So that's that's a scientist, right? And he's he's working for a cure. What's, What's he working on a cure for? Well, see, these aliens invaded the planet, and so they're making humanity sick. Well, who's the woman? Well, that's, he's in love. Just, if you would have been here on time, shut up and let me watch the movie. See, it's like they couldn't get there on time, so they want you to miss the second part because they missed the first part, and you got to explain it to them. Here's the problem with it. If you walk into any movie halfway through the movie and you miss important plot points, you will not understand the plot of the movie. Take any book that you want. If you open that book up in the middle of the book and just start reading, you'll miss really the book. You have to understand context. And what I want us to talk about for a few minutes today is for us to understand the incredible, incredible complex idea of evil and God and how they coexist is that you have to understand that as we look at it today from our point of view, nationally, historically, and very real personally, the reason evil and God doesn't make sense is because we're looking in the middle of the book. We've walked in to the middle of a movie. And so for a few minutes, I want to tell you that there really are three acts in God's story. There's three acts in God's story. We are in act two. Act one, good God creates good creation. If you look backwards, it wasn't always this way. There wasn't always death and rape and corruption and murder. There wasn't always F5 tornadoes moving through the land. The Bible tells us that God created everything. There was a good God, and he made everything. He spoke creation into existence. He spoke, and creation leapt into existence. That quasars and stars and all of creation came to life. That God spoke, and birds and animals and fishes in the sea and birds in the air, animals that crawled on the earth, God spoke it all into creation. And in the middle of a perfect creation, God put a perfect garden. He made a perfect man and made for him a perfect wife. And they had a perfect relationship with each other and a perfect relationship with their creator. It was all good. In fact, here's what God said as he looked at his creation. 
Then God looked over all that he had made. Come on, read it with me. And he saw that it was what? So act one is that God is good and he made a good creation. It wasn't always this way. So where did evil come from? The Bible tells us, act two, this is where we are at right now, is that a good man breaks a good creation with bad choice. Like this wasn't God's fault. See, I talked last week. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message. But the only way love can exist is with free will. See, God created you and God created me to be in a relationship with God. He wants us to love him the same way he loves us, but he can't force us. He can't make us. If he makes us, it's not love. So he gave us free will, the same ability he gave us to choose him. Ipso facto, he gave us the ability to reject him. And so that's exactly what man did in the middle of a good creation, in the middle of everything being good. God chose to not love God. God chose to do his own thing, cosmic rebellion. He turned his back on God. And I'm just here to tell you, listen, if God is the source of love, light, hope, joy, and you turn from that, then you lost the source of all those things. The Bible says this is what happened when Adam, the first man, chose that. Read it with me. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. See, when when Adam chose, sin polluted, infected, and impacted humanity. And it didn't stop there. In fact, the Bible says it polluted everything that God made. Against its will, come on, read it, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, here's the good news, with eager hope, the creation looks forward. That's Act 3. Everybody shout Act 3. Looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. See, it's not just you and I that experience death and decay. It's all of creation. Like if you look at this world now and you think it's amazing, if you look at the stars and the flowers, imagine what it was like before sin corrupted it. Like this is the broken version. And so the Bible says that like this sin, the decision not God made but Adam made, that disconnected us from the source of life. That's what's happening. That's why this is broken. And if we're honest, I, I know there are, and I'm not going to answer this probably well today as you would like, I, I know that there are storms and I know there's things that, out, that are outside of choice, but can we be honest? A lot of what you and I suffer is the choices we influence and impact each other with. A lot of the things that make the headlines, it's not storms and natural disasters, it's murder, rape, child pornography, bigotry, slavery, on and on, it's, it's my decisions that affect you and your decisions that affect me. And that came because we disconnected from God. And I don't know about you guys, but there's something about us. Or, or, we're wired this way, aren't we? We want the good guy to win, don't we? Like, is anybody here like you cheer for the good guy? You cheer for the underdog. You cheer for the right person. When the bad guy wins, like, some, like we just know something's wrong. One of my, one of my favorite movies is the movie Primal Fear. Primal Fear is a movie, if you've not seen it, it's getting some years on it, but it's still a great flick. It's got Richard Gere in it, Ed Norton. Real quick, here's the setup, right? Richard Gere, he's the defense attorney. He finds out about this guy, Ed Norton. Ed Norton, his character, has murdered somebody, but he finds out really the guy was kind of pushed in the corner. He really had no choice. It wasn't like this like blatant, brutal murder. It's like this guy was defending himself. So Richard Gere's character, he decides to defend Ed Norton. And he gets him on the stand. The whole movie is really a court scene. You go through the movie, and ultimately, Ed Norton is acquitted of murder. And like you're like, you applaud because 
like he had no choice. And then you find out at the very end of the movie, it was all an act. Ed Norton, he appears to have this stutter and be this timid guy. Reality, he clicks and he, fl he flips the switch at the end of the movie. And really, he did it on purpose. And he tricked Richard Gere into getting off the hook. And you're like, no, because like the bad guy got away with it. Can I just tell you something today? That evil, sin, suffering, sickness, disease, we are in act two. Don't forget that there is a good God that started act one. We're in the middle of corrupt, sick, destruction, act two. But there's an act three coming, and the bad guy ain't going to get away with it. Check this out. Act three, good God restores broken creation. I'm just telling you, that's what's coming down the road is God is going to restore everything that's broken. God's going to turn right everything that's upside down. Here's what the Bible says. I love it. Looking forward. Everybody, you got to read this with me. Revelation 21, because this is some good news. Come on, shout this with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. No more fishing, fishermen. I heard a loud shout come on from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be, come on, shout it. Y'all got to say that. No more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I'm just telling you, there is an act three coming. There is an act three coming. And we see this happen over and over again in scripture. See, we're stuck in act two, like shaking our fist at heaven, like, God, what are you doing? We're looking down, wondering, is God there? Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And God's like, there's an act three coming. And we see this act one, act two, act three. We see it over and over again in scripture. And Act 2 really only makes sense, again, in the context of Act 1 and Act 3. Let me give you a couple quick examples. There's a guy in the Old Testament named Joseph. If you don't know his story, real quick, Joseph, like he's one of, the, one of the youngest sons in a family of 12 brothers. He's dad's favorite. Like dad loves him, gives him all the best gifts. He gets all the good stuff. He's got like plans for his life. He's going to be somebody important. Like you look at him, it's all right. Everything's good. Act 2, his brothers hate him throw him in a pit. He gets sold into slavery. He eventually gets thrown into prison. He's absolutely innocent. If you show up in the middle of Joseph's life and you're like, where's God? Why would a good God ever let this happen? He's innocent. Well, then you get to act three. Act three is that God promotes Joseph to the second in command over Egypt and puts him in that place of power to provide for his family and community during a season of famine in the land. All of a sudden, act three, like God restored it. Here's another story, Job. Some of you maybe have heard his story. Here's a guy the Bible says right in the beginning that there's nobody righteous like Job. He loves God unlike anybody else. He's wealthy. He's got an incredible family. Like everything's going right for Job, act one. Act two, it doesn't take long to get in the story and you find Job has lost his wealth. His children have been destroyed in these natural disasters and you find him sitting in the city dump, cutting and scraping boils off his skin with shattered uh, uh, pieces of clay. And as he sits there, you wonder, like, where is God? Where is a good God? Why would God ever let this happen? You have to remember there's an act three. You get to the end of the book of Job, and I'll just tell you this, because everybody through the book is wondering, where is God? 
Job's wife says this, curse God and die. His friends say things like this, Job, surely there's sin in your life and God's just judging you because you're evil. You know what God says about the situation, Job? Who are you to judge me? You don't have the perspective I have. But you get to the end of the book, Act 3. Come on, everybody shout Act 3. You get to Act 3, and God restores everything that Job lost. God makes everything come back. He says, I'm going to double everything you lost. And he blesses Job. I'll give you one more. Jesus. Right? Act 1, Jesus is born. The Messiah comes into the world. He's perfect, sin-free, incredible teacher, miracle worker. Act 1. Act 2, can you imagine it? These disciples that have spent three and a half of years of their life following this man they thought that was Messiah, who's now been murdered by the Roman Empire, hanging on a cross, he's dead. Everybody's like, where is God? God, I thought you were in charge. I thought you were doing something. Where are you at? That was Act 2. There was an Act 3 that we celebrate as a church because three days later, Act 3 happened in the life of Jesus, and he got up out of the grave. And that's why we celebrate as a church. So I just want you to know something. In the middle of things that don't make sense, in the middle of difficulty, hurt, suffering, I want you to know this is not the end of the story. The story is still being written. God's story is still being written. Act 3 is coming. So here's the question. If there's a God, and there is, and he's got a story, and Act 3 is like the solution, I don't know about you, but I'm like, hurry it up then. Like, let's, anybody ready for hack three? Anybody ready? Like, I'm tired. I, I can't stand. If I have to hear the word cancer one more time as a, pas- as a pastor, like, if I hear of suffering one more time, like, I'm like, God, hurry up with hack three already. I want to give you something, and I want you to just chew on it for a little bit. Because if God can get to hack three, and his plan is to get hack three rolling, then why isn't he doing it? While God seems uncaring, and not ending evil, he's really being merciful. See, if God has a plan to end it all, then God end it all. Let's let's finish this. Let's get past it. Why isn't he doing it? Because he's merciful. If you're taking notes, he's merciful to the lost with the opportunity to get saved. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So if God was if God was to wave a wand or a hand or whatever, however you would imagine God doing it, and God wiped out evil. Now, remember, our standard of evil and his standard is a little bit different. Let me just ask a question. I need, like, 100% participation. If you've had, like, some unrighteous thoughts, you've done some unrighteous things, you've treated people unrighteously, if that has been you, you've had some unrighteous words, actions, deeds, wave your hand at me. So if God wiped out all unrighteousness, bye, 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 bye. And if you're a child of God and you've given your life to Christ and you found forgiveness, we're in. Here's the, here's the thing. Not everybody's in yet. And the reason God isn't ready to wipe out evil is because he's waiting for your cousins and your friends and your neighbors and your parents, all the people who aren't saved yet, all the people. The re, like I'm telling you, God is ready to end it all, but he's not ready for people to miss the opportunity to come and discover his love. So he's waiting as long as he can for as many people as he can to come to Christ. Here's what the Bible says. Listen to this, 2 Peter. I gave it to you last week. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient. The reason God doesn't end evil now and get to Act 3 is because he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So I'm just telling you, God is good. 
God is in control. God does have a plan. He's working that plan. We're going to get there. Act 3, come on, say it. Act 3 is coming. And the reason he's not pushing the button now is because he's waiting for as many possible to come to Christ. So I'm, let me just say this. You want to speed this thing along? You have control of how fast this thing happens because Jesus said that this gospel will be preached to the end of the earth, then the end will come. You want Jesus to come back and end the madness? You want Act 3 to start? Then start sharing Christ with as many friends. Invite as many people possible to church. If you won't share Christ with them, get them here. I'll share Christ for you. Come on, somebody. But let's get this show on the road, right? If you're taking notes, number two. Number two, the reason God is being merciful is being merciful to the saved with the opportunity to be used. Now, See, because here's where the rubber meets the road. It's not evil in the newspaper. It's not the Holocaust. It's not the stories I shared of people hurt right here in our own community. What really gets us is when it shows up on our front door. It's when we can't have a baby. It's when somebody we know, someone we're related to, or when we get the MRI from the doctor and we have cancer, then we're like, God, what are you doing? Like, that's when we ask the question. We just don't ask questions because, God, I thought I was your child. I thought, like, like, I give the church and I show up and I serve. Like, God, where are you at? And we ask this incredibly hard question because we want to know, God, if you really love me the way you say you love me and I love you, then why aren't you fixing it? Why did you let this happen? Can I just present to you today that God's being merciful to you and I because he's giving us the opportunity to be used. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55. Many of you who've been in church have heard this a million times. Just will you read it with me one more time, please? And let this get into your heart. My thoughts are nothing. Come on, read it. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. If you take anything away today, here's what I want you to get out of today. Just because we can't think of a good reason for something bad to happen doesn't mean there isn't one. Like as we look at this world and we're like, God, why is this happening? And we can't think that there's ever a good reason for that to happen, so therefore we reject it. Just because you can't think of a good reason for something bad to happen doesn't mean there isn't one. Let me take it a step further, and I hope you all understand the point I'm trying to make. Y'all ready? You're not ready for what's about to be up here, I'm telling you. Just let it hang there for a second. Let the suspense fill the air. Some of you are like, please go to the next slide. <laughs> Pastor, I don't understand what this has to do with anything. Uh, some of you know I'm kind of a math geek, enjoy math. The, further, the longer I'm out of it, the less I understand it. But this makes sense to me. How many people here does this make sense to? Probably only a handful. If it makes sense to you, lift your hand real high. How many people are like, I have no idea what that is? Stop the madness. That's okay. Let me tell you this. This is a calculus proof, and it's accurate. See, as a dad, like, you know, I've gone through it like your kid. Your kids come home. Dad, I got homework, and I don't understand. And so I sit down with them, and I'll be honest. I'm, not a, I'm a good dad in some ways. I'm a bad dad when it comes to helping my kids with their homework, especially math. Because like you guys, like, you know, uh, Pastor Archie, like music just comes to him. And, and Ree's a great drummer. And James Wally's a great guitarist. And Seth Wooten and like Lenny LeBlanc. Like I look at these people and like music just makes sense. Like I wish I could do it, but I can't. Math just makes sense to me. 
Like, it just makes sense. So I get frustrated when other people don't see what I see. Like, I mean, you don't, like, you don't see that? That makes perfect sense. So like, I'm like, I'll ask my kids, you don't see it? Like, eventually I just get so frustrated. They tell me they got it just so I'll go away. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. Listen, listen, listen. This is true. Just because you can't see it's true doesn't mean it's not true. God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's thoughts are way beyond anything you can imagine. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you can't see a reason for something bad to happen doesn't mean there isn't one. See, here's what I have found out. And many of you in this room, you know this is true. While you don't want to suffer, while we don't want to go bad through bad things, while we hate it when it comes knocking on our door, let's be honest. Most of us didn't come to Christ during the good times. Most of us don't pray the hardest, fast the most fierce. Most of us don't pull into God when things are great. We do it when things are awful. I came to Jesus not when things were unicorns and rainbows. I came to Jesus when things were bad. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He wasn't saying he had a problem with rich people. What he was saying was the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, through humility, recognizing your need for a Savior. And what Jesus knew is most people who have a lot of money really aren't dependent on anybody. They're dependent on themselves. So what he was saying was most rich people will never humble themselves because they think they have it all together. Can we just move that a little bit further? I think Jesus is saying is as long as life makes sense and it's all perfect, we probably will never reach out to something beyond ourselves. But when you go through a tough time and you need strength that you don't have, when you need grace you can't find, when you need peace that is not in this world, we got to go and run to the rock that's higher than I. And God allows things in our life because he uses those things. He doesn't create them and he doesn't cause them, but he allows them because it's those things that cause us to look outside of ourselves to something bigger than us. And God doesn't just do it for us. Sometimes God will use what's happening in your life and how he gives you grace and you peace and you strength that as you share that with others, like it doesn't make sense, but God will use your story to draw other people. See, your story is a subplot in his story. There is act one. There's act two. And act three is coming, but act two, God is still writing his story in your life. And while at times it's painful, And while at times we wish we could avoid it, the reality is this world is full of destruction and sin and hurt. And I'm thankful that in the middle of it, God's not abandoned us. And he is here. And act three is coming. I'd love to take credit for it, but I always give credit where credit's due. One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard on this topic came from a guy by the name of Graham Cook. Graham Cook said this, God allows in his wisdom what he could easily stop in his power. See, God could stop it, but the reason he doesn't, in a a wisdom we don't always understand, God could stop it, but he allows certain things to happen. The Bible says it this way, Romans chapter 8, that God works all things together for good. God takes broken, evil, hurtful, harmful things, and God works all things together for good. God takes bad and makes good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'll give you one more thing. I want to give you the 30,000-foot view real quick, and we'll wrap it up, and I'll send you home, and you can ponder the calculus proof. Anybody like you to send that to me? Pastor Steve at I go to faith.com. I'll forward it to you. We can wrestle through it together. 
There's one more story that takes everything that I've shared, everything that I've said, and kind of brings it together in one place. It's a story found in John chapter 11. Here's the story, right? So there's a guy, his name is Lazarus. He gets sick. Jesus finds out about it. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who can fix it. Here's what the Bible says of this guy. John chapter 11, verse 1 and 3 says this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent message to Jesus telling him, come on, read it with me, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So like this isn't just an everyday guy. This is a Jesus friend guy. Like, what do you think Jesus would do? Like, if, if this is a good friend of Jesus, you think Jesus would run there, Jesus would hurry and fix it. At times, the Bible says Jesus just spoke a word and people were here. Like, you would just think Jesus would make everything okay, wouldn't you? Three things. Real quick, I want you to write these last three things down. We'll close. Jesus didn't do what everyone thought he should or could do. Everyone thought he, he's going to go fix it. He's going to go make, make it better. I mean, after all, if he's God, that's what he would do, right? He doesn't do it. Instead, the Bible says this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two more days. So he loved them. Didn't do what anybody thought he would or should do. Like, we think God should just show up and fix it all. And he will. Act 3 is coming. But in the middle of it, in the middle of Act 2, God's not always going to do what you think. You should do or could do. Number two, Jesus cared about the people and the problem. You may not always feel it, but I, I promise you, Jesus cares about where you are. He cares about the abuse you've suffered. He cares about the hurt you're going through. When everybody else seems like, like they're not bringing meals to your house anymore and they're not calling anymore, but you still have cancer and you're still going through treatments, I promise you, God still cares. The shortest verse in scripture is God's reflection to our pain. And it's found in this story, verse 35. Jesus, looking at what happened to Lazarus, the Bible says Jesus, he wept. Like he was broken because people were broken in that situation. And number three, Jesus used a bad situation for a greater good that couldn't be seen in the moment. They couldn't see in the middle of act two that act three was coming. Last verse. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. God said, I'm going to use this brokenness. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Just because you cannot see a good reason for bad happening doesn't mean there isn't one. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, God, you will take this incredibly complex challenging question and Lord I pray Father speak to every heart and every life not just truth but I pray your love God I pray Lord help us in the middle of our chaos in the middle of our hurt in the middle of our pain God we pray Lord for I pray for people right here hurting I pray God and we ask for the Smith family God we pray that you would touch on her Lord you minister to his family God we pray in Jesus name in the middle of the chaos and the corruption and the hurt and the pain God, let us know that you are there and that you care. God, you're working in a way that we don't always understand. But God, we trust you to work. And Father, we long and we wait for the day for Act 3. And God, until then, give us peace, embolden our faith to trust you, no matter what our eyes show us, that God, our hearts will long for you and love you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?